Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5, featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I am your newbie host, Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? I am... I feel like we need to, to switch up the intro, honestly. I feel like we're all kind of newbies to season 5 at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had zero recollection of either of these episodes outside of like vague details. Like I remembered that Byron's hair was annoying, but I had no recollection that he actually showed up in the first episode. Uh, okay, so let's let's brainstorm this. Let's brainstorm this here. So uh, this is a this is a rewatch podcast from Avalon Five featuring three friends stuck in, uh, stumbling through the wilderness of season five. There you go. <laughs> All right, so let's see, you know, we're going we're to retake this again. Disasters don't cut any of this. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5 featuring three friends stumbling through the darkness of season five and the labors of nation building a new alliance. I'm your there name you is Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts Jude and Anna. Jude, uh, <laughs> we're in season five, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. I can't believe it. This has been this has been great. I'm also excited to be recording again. It's been a hot minute. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it, it, for listeners, it's been about three weeks because uh, Anna and I spent two weeks recording another podcast, uh, and then we and just then decided there was an off there was an off week because somebody fed Zathras clean food, and that doesn't agree with his system, mm-hmm. so he had a, a bad week there. <laughs> So it's been like it's it's a hot minute. It's fall. It's November. Like daylight savings time happened. It's like, all right. Let's, let's just not talk about daylight savings time. I have oh a dog God. and a kid. It's not. You've just you've literally just mentioned my hell. I I I legitimately like. I don't remember the last time I recorded a podcast and it was dark outside. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the West Coast. So whenever we start recording these things, it's like oh, it's like early evening. This you know, it's it's still like. In a normal time, now yeah. it's like I don't think I've recorded a podcast after dark in like months. Yeah, <laughs> like at least six of them. <laughs> certainly not since we switched to daylight savings time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I got a question for y'all. Okay, what would you swear your oath of office on? Because I assume for n- none of us it is a Bible. Let the record state I am holding up my Jakar action. Figure. I think you have to swear it on a book. But yes, uh, we, we uh, Zathras got uh, Jude a Jakar figure for birthday. No, I I bought that of my, with my own hard earned. Oh no no no! Sorry cash. sorry. We, it's the other. Oh, thing. in that case, then I will I I, I will swear on, in on my on the signed uh the signed Jakar photo uh that Zathras got me for my birthday. <laughs> there we go. It's a very good gift. I'm surprised that you weren't swearing on, like, something Tolkien-related. Well, for the purposes of this show, it would be that. I mean, if if, if this were my other podcast, Atherbeth, 
You can find us on the web at Atherbeth underscore cast. Um, I would absolutely be swearing in on a copy of uh, probably volume 10 of the histories of Middle Earth, Morgoth's Ring, which contains the the actual piece, Atherbeth a Andreth, Finrod a Andreth, which is the essay from which our podcast takes its name. It is a Sindarin word, which means discussion, and it is my favorite essay that Tolkien wrote. Depicts the conversation between the best elf boy, Madud Finrod, which we just did a whole episode all about him, and uh, a wise woman of the house of Beor named Andreth, and they have a, a nice long conversation uh, about, you know, eschatology and feels. Cool. Nice. What about you, Anna? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I think it might be like my my old copy of Joy of Cooking, possibly. Not a new keyboard. No, no. <laughs> but I feel like you know that 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 cookbook has followed me through like many apartments, and you know it has been a a steadfast and trustworthy friend. That's that's your book of Jaquan. Yeah, yeah. It also has, you know, mysterious stains on it that were that are my fault, not Garibaldi's. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just the just the phrasing of mysterious stains and Garibaldi immediately evokes like a wince and and a gag reflex. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Gross. Well, all right. What episodes are we covering tonight, Justin? Well, we're starting season five, um, and we don't really know if any of these are big web episodes, so we're just doing two at a time. Yeah. Until until we encounter one where we talk a lot about it and realize it should be on its own, I guess. Yeah. Um. So we're just gonna record them all and let Zathras figure it out. Yeah. We're. we're <laughs> I, I hope you guys are buckled in because, like, for the next. Ten hours we are recording a podcast. It's all of season five. <laughs> we're just we're just gonna keep going. And, you know, we'll we'll stop eventually. It might be from one of us dying. I just need to fire up the coffee maker. Well, if we if we did that, we would get lots of lots more good good uh, toilet flush takes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so, no, we are covering the first two episodes of Season 5, No Compromises, and The Very Long Night of Londo Malari. Uh, no Compromises, our season opener, is being uh, done by Anna, so Anna, take it away. All right, so unsurprisingly, this one's written by JMS, although Season 5 does have several episodes that are not entirely written by JMS and one that is entirely not written by JMS. So we have what? that to look forward to. JMS only has sole writing credits on 20 episodes this season. Oh my god. It was directed by Janet Greek. So welcome to season five, everyone. Um, our cast is down a fiery brunette woman and a long-haired British dude. But don't worry, don't worry. Uh, we're getting a new one of each. So we're all going to be just fine. <laughs> anyway, uh, we start with the new station CEO coming aboard. Earth Force Captain Lockley. Everyone else is busy, so Corwin gets the dubious pleasure of welcoming her aboard. 
Corwin tries to warn her that things are pretty weird on the station and that she will probably need some time to do some adjusting. Uh, this is pretty, you know, pretty parallel to what Ivanova did for Sheridan back in season two. But Lockley is determined that she's going to change things up and run a tighter ship. You know, if there's weird shit that didn't fit into an official report, then that just means that the report is incomplete. Squints. Yep. We get our first hint that she's going to get a traditional station welcome of chaos and death <laughs> as the scene shifts to Mars, where a ranger is tied to a chair. A second man shoots him and hangs a placard on his neck, reading, Special Delivery for Babylon 5. Soon enough, the ranger's corpse shows up in a cargo bubble outside the station. Lockley and Sheridan have their first official meeting as president-elect and station commander to hash out their respective roles. Sheridan agrees to leave everything involving station operations in Lockley's hands, and she'll leave the political and diplomatic matters to him. Sheridan also explains why he picked her as CO. She's a strong leader and has a history of being able to resolve conflicts without violence. Lockley notes that Sheridan didn't ask which side she was on during the Civil War, and he replies, confirming that, yep, he didn't ask that. In other station events, a primary reason why things are so hectic is the preparations for Sheridan's inauguration. Sheridan recruits Jakar to write the inauguration oath, as well as a declaration of principles for the new alliance. Garibaldi has been helping Zack with station security for the event, and the man who killed the ranger is now on the station, stalking and murdering the game ambassador. Poor game. Lockley is also <laughs> I'm just like, I was like... Are they from, like, Wizards of the Coast? <laughs> like, Game Ambassador sounds like a fake made-up influencer thing. It does. So Lockley's also approached by a telepath who introduces himself as Byron and definitely isn't a blonde Marcus knockoff, uh, who announces his intention to start a colony of telepaths on the station. He is already accompanied by a half dozen other telepaths, including a traumatized young man named Simon, who transmits images instead of speaking. Lockley agrees to think about the proposal as long as Simon gets checked out in medbay. Franklin, shockingly, seems to realize he's not competent to deal with the poor kid's trauma, but prescribes vitamins to counter the malnourishment, at least. With the discovery of the ranger corpse, as well as multiple death threats sent to Sheridan's quarters, the command staff start to realize that they have a brewing security problem. Everyone agrees that they should postpone the ceremony until they can increase security. Well, almost everyone. <laughs> Sheridan insists that they proceed on schedule, since it's important to him that he not be isolated um, and kept in a security bubble during his tenure as president, and he's skeptical that increased security will actually help against a lone gunman willing to die while taking Sheridan out, and Lockley backs him up on that. So, we're gonna go with the plan. Meanwhile, Simon has been exploring the ducts on the station, and discovers the assassin mid-preparations, uh, apparently planning to impersonate the game ambassador at the ceremony using the stolen encounter suit. Simon is shocked by the assassin's violent thoughts and hits the duct wall, making a noise. And the assassin promptly shoots the ceiling, wounding Simon uh, before grabbing his gear and leaving. Garibaldi also manages to track down the identity of the assassin, uh, a former member of Earth Force and a trained infiltrator. The inauguration ceremony begins on schedule with the game ambassador in attendance. Simon also shows up, despite his injuries, and manages to warn the crowd about the identity of the assassin, who misses his shot and flees with a hostage. 
Simon has died from his injuries at this point, but Sheridan insists that the show go on, and Jakar begins to read the Oath of Office as everyone gathers in the observation room. One of the few rooms, I might note, on the station with a window. The assassin has switched to his corresponding backup plan and launches in a stolen Star Fury, targeting Sheridan through the observation room window. Garibaldi is hot on his tail, though, and Sheridan manages to stall him for just long enough for Baldi to grapple the stolen Star Fury and yeet it into the firing range of the station guns. I hate that that's so accurate! <laughs> that's exactly what happens! It's literally he just like, I'm gonna grapple it, and I'm gonna suplex, uh, I'm gonna yep, suplex yep. a Starfighter with my Starfighter. It's one of my favorite oh, Star Fury moments, let's be honest. God, that is... <laughs> I love it's that so sentence dumb. because it's it is so succinct and so accurate. It is that is exactly what happens, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> so with the threat averted, Jakar simply asks Sheridan if he still wants to be president. Uh, has him put his hand on the holy book he brought for the ceremony and say, "I do," and declares that the inauguration is done and it's time to eat. In the wrap-up, Byron meets with Sheridan. Despite Simon's sacrifice to protect Sheridan, Lockley has denied their request to settle on the station. Sheridan overrides her, however, and arranges for the telepaths to have some space in Brown Sector. Garibaldi also has a surprise for Lockley. He's been promoted to Alliance Spook, I mean, Head of Covert Intelligence. He asks Lockley what side she was on in the Civil War, and she replies simply that she was on the side of Earth. But then again... Wasn't everyone? So, so I want to. Th- I have like a yeah, couple yeah. quick things that I just need to rattle off here. Go for it. First, Sheridan is has been in office less than eight hours and has decided I need a CIA. I fucking called it. Like the only <laughs> thing that I didn't call, like the only thing I got wrong, was that fucking bester. Yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. Secondly. I just have a question for both of you. If you had to characterize Elizabeth Lockley's personality after approximately 42 minutes of television, what would it be? Bitchy. Yeah. Ivanova knockoff. No, it's not even an Ivanova knockoff because Ivanova is tough. Lockley just comes across as like. Like she. Shrewish and bitchy. The only scene she, she comes across in. Like good, and I I legitimately can't tell whether this is because I hate Garibaldi or it's an actual good scene. Is when she cuts Garibaldi into like grain of rice sized pieces and flushes him down the toilet <laughs> when he's in the meeting. And she's like, "I don't even know why you're in that meeting. You don't have rank. Why the fuck should I yeah. listen to you?" And he's like, "I've worked here, blah blah blah." And she's like, "That's great. Don't care. I love that scene." But again, I don't know if that was legitimate or. But yeah, it's, she seems, I think if I were going to give her one word, I would say incurious. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> no, that's a good one. She's she's coming to the station, and it's so different from Sheridan coming to the station in season two, where he was just like, okay, wild shit is going Fruit. on here. This is fucking cool. Like, I'm happy to be here. Like, Clearly, there's a ton of shit I don't know. Let's let's get into it. And she's coming here being like, no, I know everything there is to know about the station. If there's anything that I don't know, then y'all fucked up. Yeah. So I figured out. So this is what it is. She is who Ted Lasso is talking about when it says, be curious, not judgmental. Yep. 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 
Yep. Accurate. Yeah. Accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, the only time I don't dis actively dislike her in this episode is when she's cutting Garibaldi down to size in that, that one scene. I really liked her in that. Yeah. Scene. We always <laughs> love it. It'll be interesting to see like, as she, as we see more screen time for her and as she evolves, I, can I, can I get onto my like, like rant here about Lockley? Yeah, sure. please. So it's such a, they fucked up with her here because yeah like it's such such an absolute complete mistake to introduce her character in this way that i don't think that she ends up being like you know judgmental and incurious and stuff like that in the long run but they are introducing her in a way that is instantly making her into a question mark question mark antagonist question mark and you've already like we've just lost a member of the cast Lockley is clearly meant to be a direct Ivanova replacement. You've lost a like yeah. top four favorite cast member. And you're mm-hmm. immediately trying to make the fans antagonistic toward the replacement. Don't do this. Do not do this. Yeah. Ever. In the JMS speak section, he's like, well, we've showed the episode to, to we, we've gotten first reactions from, uh, from the episode that people really like Lockley. So I don't know what you're complaining about. Like, clearly he was getting like, flack uh about the episode and was like trying to push back on it and was like shocked to discover that people did not like Lockley in the first episode yeah because she's like you know she's she isn't curious about what's going on in the station she's not excited to be there she's you know they're clearly setting her up to be kind of like a you know hard-ass tough woman like Ivanova was but like she doesn't have any form of charisma and she has also like you know we're not spending so little of this green time that this episode is devoted to her that we don't learn anything about her. Unlike, you know, the first few episodes with Sheridan where so much screen time was spent being like, okay, we have a new captain. We need to spend a lot of screen time learning little shit about him. Like he's really excited to eat oranges and have a shower, like having stuff like that for Lockley. Um, would have done a lot to kind of like humanize her but i really like i totally get why people watch this episode and then just bounce off the entire fucking series for the rest of the show yeah. like yeah no it's she's actively especially if you had any passion for ivanova whatsoever uh it, she's a real turnoff the thing that tells you all you need to know about how much jms was like compared to like putting Sheridan in the show, like how much he was like, I really want to emphasize this new captain is you look at the cast list and the credits and uh, Tracy Scoggins as Captain Elizabeth Lockley is sixth. Yeesh. <laughs> yeah. After Bill Mummy as Lanier. Okay. Speaking of cast list, let's pivot to the other thing about season five. That is a fucking Travis. Are you talking about knockoff uh like cult leader Marcus? We'll get there. No, we'll get there. No, I'm referring to the god awful intro sequence. Oh, oh god. I'm like five episodes into the season, and it's still as bad as the first time I watched it. I forced myself uh, to watch it once one. and then I've skipped it subsequently. It's yeah, it's, it's rough. Rough. It's bad. It's like it's not even like it's like the sound is mixed badly on it. Yeah, it it. It doesn't fit at all with the other four seasons. It's jarringly different and bad 
the music is not good and it has I really dislike the big like spray painted created by JMS <laughs> across the ass of the station yeah. at the end where it's where it's just him being like you know look at this monument to my cocaine habit across the end of the series I just yeah yeah no no uh, I never skip the intro on seasons one through four. I, I always want to skip it. The only reason I haven't is I've been trying to see if it will ever grow on me. But I think I'm I think I'm done with that experiment. now. And imagine, <laughs> imagine what we could have had for an intro like we could have had Jakar reading out the principles of the alliance or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I have to say about that. Uh, OK, now we can talk about uh, the 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 Marcus we have at home. God, uh, Byron, I it, it's so here's how I would describe my first impression of Byron. Oh, I'm dying to hear this. He has the looks like he has the look of like a very like a poet, but like he, he has like big romance cover energy. Not like not like the super ripped romance cover, but like oh my god, he he's soft, dark, and brooding, and has a little bit, and probably has like a dead body in his attic. But I can like pa- get past that because the dick's good, or or potentially needs to be like fed soup in bed or something. Yeah. <laughs> See, m- my first take on his his look is he looks like he looks like someone that reads too much, like Byron, the poet. <laughs> But is actually like, like, like that, or like plays one in low budget, like TV adaptions on the BBC. Yeah. Like, and nothing against the actor. Uh, I, he's a terrific actor. We're going to talk about that in a little bit here. But my, my, my hot take with him is he looks like the kind of cult leader that makes everybody sleep with him. And I mean, everybody sleep with him. Yeah. Yeah. I also resent that his hair is it, it like he has he definitely has like aren't you impressed with my hair hair but it's the exact opposite end of the spectrum from Marcus's gorgeous hair and so I I'm just like not at all like it it angers me that I'm supposed to be impressed with his hair after having spent so many so much time I think in the in the spectrum of Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Marcus is on the born with it side, and Byron is on the Maybelline side. God, oh my Fuck god, that so is, much. That is so good. That is the most vicious bird I have ever heard. <laughs> oh, that's tremendous. Oh, it's so good, oh. and it's so true. I hate that you. Oh. Feel free to put that on the Twitter. I, okay, I have nothing else to say about Byron. I can't top that. <laughs> i i'm i'm really proud of that as you should be oh, jesus wow. you also notice that like all of his all of the telepaths with him in that scene where he meets lockley look fucking creepy they've all got that glassy eyed i'm in a cult look to them it seems like we've got two new like telepath lesbians though so that's exciting yeah so, like yeah no there's know, th- th- those they're definitely lesbians yeah they're Closer than sisters, which in like 1997 is like, yeah, closer than sisters was just like, hold on, I'm sorry, I have to mute the klaxons that say lesbian. (laughs) 
Do they not have? I mean, yeah. I'm. What's one thing I'm excited for with the reboot? I hope they're actually allowed to say like "gay." Yeah. In the reboot, fingers crossed. Because like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just very funny because it's just yeah. like I'm sure I'm never going to see these characters again. <laughs> yeah, there. It's a thing, man. I think we're gonna get like like. Here's my prediction: having watched the lo- the only two episodes I have watched are the first two of season five. And so the and the telepath do not appear in that one. I will bet you that we just have a rotating about twelve to fifteen telepaths, and <laughs> they will they'll they'll generally show up in one episode that they're relevant to the plot, and then we will never see that specific telepath again. <laughs> we'll see a lot of Byron, however, like as just like figurehead for them. That that's my that's my guess. We shall see. Yeah. Uh, I I remember I remember enough of what's coming, man. <laughs> yeah. So uh I also want to talk about Simon. Uh I I aggressively dislike Simon's character. I like the concept, but I'm I'm super uncomfortable with the depiction of like childlike whimsy with trauma response. Yeah. Um I'm super uncomfortable with I mean, we've talked before about the way that this show sometimes, not sometimes, very frequently plays fast and loose with the association between like telepathy and mental health and trauma. Uh, But Simon's character, I think, is I'm sure in whatever fucking 96, 98, whatever year this episode came out was fine and nobody thought twice about it. But uh, in 2021 is just like... It just doesn't play for me. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I find it really just tropey and bad. And it, and it makes me... Just like the assassin saying, yeah. although far less problematically, but it, like in the same way, it's just like JMS is running on empty right from episode one and is pulling like a stock card out. And we've already and, and we've already had this plot too. Like this is this yeah. is just ceremonies of light and dark. 2.0. Yep. And Simon yep. also makes me so mad because he could have been so interesting because the concept of like autism spectrum telepath who communicates like non-verbally through images is fascinating, right? Like that's such a yeah. Oh, it's fascinating. I trust no writer currently living on television writing in the 90s to do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but like it's such a cool concept and you just know that it's going to be fucked up awfully and then it's fucked up awfully yeah um other things this episode does that i think are weird and and strange uh franklin behaves like a responsible doctor not sure what to make of that i seem bit, to recall that he's actually decent bizarre. for the for basically the entirety of the season yeah he's he's like he's a normal doctor again he gets Don't to be like it. He gets to be like well, a regular cast uh, member. A normal doctor, except if you'll look in my show notes for the next episode, he gets two fundamentally basic doctoring terms wrong, which goes to show you what he was doing in med school. He got those wrong. And that definitely look, doesn't have to do with the fact that JMS probably learned like his medical knowledge from ER, the show. Was that even on at this point? Uh, oh, God. ER had to be on. Look, I I respect the fact that by the time season five was done, uh, JMS was basically running on ego and rails of coke. Uh, But (laughs) 
Eeyore is older than Babylon 5. And was still writing. I respect how it happened, but that doesn't change the fact that he said it. And that means that Franklin is the one that, for a doctor that supposedly has traveled the universe, doesn't know the difference between Lungs and toxology and toxicology and doesn't know that pulmonary means lungs, not your hearts. I'm going to put it here is that like these are these are writing mistakes that uh, Wikipedia solves. <laughs> those are those are writing mistakes that a dictionary solves. JMS has a dictionary. An intern, an intern script editor with a, with access to Wikipedia, <laughs> or or even just basic having literally anybody else in your writer's room, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not yeah, having it's not having one meth-addled human being writing your scripts <laughs> solves. So, so have you I'm ever? Very... Hold on, I'm gonna. I have to go off on a digression here very slightly. I swear this is not me just ranting. Um, if you've been on Twitter recently, JMS has been very active on Twitter. We have a channel on our Discord, which you can't access because we don't have a public Discord. Go to hell. Um, <laughs> called JMS Shit Tweets. I have it muted, so I only get exposed to this madness when somebody tags me in it. Oh, good to know. I'll tag you more often. Um, I don't need to read JMS's shit. <laughs> well, so, but he describes his writing technique as he basically fucks around from like, 10 in the morning till like six o'clock at night. And then he just starts drinking coffee and writes from like six in the evening till like 4 a.m. And this is his normal writing methodology and has been his entire life. Okay. So there's a very, okay, we're going to, we're going to go on this digression because JMS writing shit is very funny. So there, there, there is a, there is a thing he did about like what he was doing when he was starting off to basically like, minimize the cost of food and stuff because he was like he wasn't making money as a writer and there's this picture of him and he's like six four rail thin and it's like what were you eating and he's like about to do it beef jerky <laughs> and i'm just like i'm just like that's so believable yeah i'm just saying that look maybe maybe he wasn't doing cheap speed and cocaine to get through these seasons. Maybe he was just running on exhaustion and uh, cheap Folgers to, to get him through these episodes. I, I feel like the jokes land either way. Um, I feel like it's all kind of the same in the outcome. You know, maybe we can, maybe we can account for the fact that TV writing has relatively gotten better over the last 20 years with the coincidence of uh, of Starbucks <laughs> and like <laughs> higher and like higher quality homebrew coffee availability, better quality, higher ca caffeine content coffee. I buy. I, it. I'm just saying, it, it's like you know, five hour energy. <laughs> yeah, I mean that or, is a thing too. Or throwing this out there, the existence of a writer's room with a device with a diverse writing staff. I mean, yeah, as well. But I, I mean, this is. Don't, I don't I don't cut into your bets. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, uh, do we want to talk about the 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 lazy assassin trope with the assassin like listening to a music oh, box God. while he cleans his gun it's, like a fucking it's weirdo? like oh hey can we get like shorthand for creep here? Yeah. Um, so like let's just do like all those things like oh he'll have a very funny methodology of like 
I'm going to announce my presence before, like, like 48 hours before the assassination. And I do like the little cargo bubble. That's a very fun, like, yeah, yeah, interesting, like, little technology. Also, a mate bot that doesn't die, Justin. I know. I'm so happy. Um, Like one robot. (laughs) It only only had to witness a corpse. I know. Poor little robots traumatized. I mean, it's truly like. Everything in B5 is like, do you want a robot? They're only going to know pain. <laughs> um, so, is hey. Is a of... prequel to Dune? Is that how the Butlerian Jihad happens? The robots get tired of seeing so much pain and being destroyed that they rise up? I mean, sure. <laughs> it's just sure. That's why there's no aliens, because we've destroyed them all. They've all gone beyond the rim, sick of our bullshit. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense, honestly. Jakar is real great in this one. I was just going to say, the good thing about this episode is that literally everything with Jakar is fantastic as Jakar. Jakar is, is just a JMS XP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's just like, I haven't eaten, sleep, I haven't eaten or, eaten or slept, and I'm staying up all night for this. Oh, yeah. oh, I don't get to do my thing. Okay, do you want to be president? <laughs> I love that bit. I love where it's like, do you want to be president? I do. Great. Put your hand on the book. Put your hand on the book. (laughs) All right, let's go eat. All right, let's go eat. It's so good. It's such, (sighs) it's so Jakar. But I also really love his absolutely guileless enthusiasm when he's asked if to write the, uh, the oath and the, um, declaration of principles. He isn't, there's no old Jakar would have been like, Ooh, how can I? Well, obviously nobody would have asked old Jakar. To write anything about principles, but there's no, there's not a, a a moment of political calculation there. He is simply honored that he was asked. And I love the mood of like I'm flattered and also terrified. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, I love his little reaction when it's like, it's like I understand you've been ri- writing a book, and Jakar has the reaction of any writer in a first draft. <laughs> Who's like, oh, you're writing a book? Can I see it? He's like, no, no, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the alpha reader gave it back to me with coffee stains. <laughs> well, in fairness, like if if his only exposure to having someone else involved in the, in the process was Garibaldi, you'd be a little traumatized too. <laughs> yeah, I would. I there. It's it's important to like when you're in early stages to like to share your work with people who are going to be sympathetic and supportive of your work and like, will will you know, ask like, Hey, do you have like a, do you, do you want critique on this? Or do you just want to like say like, Hey, these are things for work with me. You do not want to give it to Michael Garibaldi who has the emotional intelligence of a sentient butthole. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Speaking of Jakar stuff, I swear to God, that thing of like, well, do you want to be president or don't you is Either a reference to something that I can't remember or something else that I don't remember has referenced it. Because I specifically remember something that's like, well, do you want to get married or don't you? And like, you say I do and you say I do. Okay, done. Let's eat. Um, But I may be just like hallucinating this. Does anybody else have this like in your brain? I can't think of anything, but it's, I mean, I think it's, it's a broad enough trope of the like, you know, shorten the ceremony down to the basics. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's a common trip, yeah. Oh, maybe you're thinking Princess Bride? Yes. I mean, 
Is that what it is? Yes, I, I think so. A little bit. I think the cadence is different. Like the cadence I, I don't is think different. It's quite the, the same. Yeah, but it's the it's it's the same sort of energy. They're like, do you do you blah blah blah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You're you're right. It's Princess Bride that I was thinking of. Thank you. Yeah, trying to think if there's anything else about this. Uh oh, should we talk about the fact that Sheridan is apparently dumb enough to put Garibaldi in charge of his. Uh, covert intelligence agency. I mean, he figures, hey, this person, th- this this dude already has demonstrated a complete disregard for civil liberties. <laughs> Fair enough. I, yeah, I guess it's not so much... I can send him to another planet to do a war crime. Well, A, I don't believe that. If there's a war crime to be done, Sheridan's going to do it himself. Uh, and B, I guess my, I guess it's not that I, I disbelieve that Sheridan would do it. Because that's, in fairness... Yeah, if I'm going to pick someone to be in charge of an amoral intelligence agency, absolutely, Garibaldi's uh, a, a valid ch- pick there. Uh, I guess it's more that why would you write this storyline? The thing, the thing that's unbelievable to me is that apparently, like everybody's just fine with Garibaldi now. <laughs> Again, I think like- I think it is one of those things that it's like when you are in a sci-fi setting or like something, it, it, it's. You just have to sort of, like, be okay. Like, I think it's just a genre convention of, like, okay, we've had Lita go through, like, his brain and scrub out all the teep stuff. I just imagine that's how it is. Because, let's yeah. let's face it, if somebody got brainwashed into, like, betraying the X-Men and that ruled them out from being on the X-Men, there would be no X-Men <laughs> left. Yeah. I was exactly where I was going to go. I was like, if like, mind control ruled you out, that would be the end of like most comic book teams, but particularly the X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, the Scarlet Witch was in your head for five seconds. I'm sorry, Hawkeye. You no longer get to be on the Avengers. Uh, here's your, here's your separate pay. You know, don't call us. Yeah. The, the, thing, the uh, thing that gets me though with it is like, the way that they phrased the mind control for him, where it was the like, we amped up your natural tendencies to be a fucking jackass. Yeah. Yeah. It was not. Con- well, they also weren't consistent about exactly how much control how, about what exactly was done to him. But yeah, yeah. the whole thing is just dumb. Um, what frustrates me about it is they spent like four seasons doing a a really good arc with Londo where they build up. They show that he's a, a a garbage person that's got some redeemable qualities and then he falls really hard and then he's sort of building himself back up and showing that he is worth redeeming. And then you have Garibaldi, who's just a shitty person and he has one shitty thing happen to him and everybody's just like, well, I guess you get to come back. It's like the the like generic white guy forgiveness. Yeah. Speaking speaking of Londo turning corners, etc., do we want to talk about the next episode? Yeah. Yes. It is the long night of Londo Malari. Um, <laughs> okay, you, you, now you have to do the whole summary as Londo. Absolutely. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> Written by J. Michael Straczynski and directed by David J. Eagle. Eagle. Oh, yeah, we have the very long night of Londo Malari, where I'm sure Londo will just be uh, dealing with some indigestion. I'm <laughs> sure. I mean, I wouldn't order the sushi on B5, but uh, live your best life. 
our episode starts with Delenn and John sleeping on their sloped memory foam mattress. Uh, Delenn is awoken by a Minbari who messages her to see if there is a problem and to see if she needs a replacement. They can offer one from each cast, like multiple. She can have three assistants. Guys, we really love you, Delenn. Please, please, anything you need. <laughs> when Delenn says that she hasn't said anything, the Minbari tells her that Lanier had requested to return to Minbar permanently. <gasps> In a cargo bay, Londo argues with Zach Allen about a Bravari shipment. Londo argues with Zach about an impound on all incoming food, saying that they've had an infestation that has to be quarantined. Uh, Londo is very irate, and while Veer tries to reason with Zach, Londo takes a swig of the Bravari and collapses. Londo is rushed to MedLab, where Franklin goes to work. Veer insists that he was poisoned, and Franklin says that he'll do all he can. In Delenn's quarters, Lanier arrives to brief her about her day. Delenn interrupts to ask if... Uh, when he intended to tell her about his departure. Lanier admits that he feels like Delenn does not need him anymore now that she has John and that he is in the way. He says that he is uncomfortable and says that leaving will be best for both of them. He is planning to join the Rangers as a memory to Marcus. Garibaldi visits Veer and says that Londo is in critical condition. Veer rages at the cafe, thinking that he has been the victim of an assassination attempt, but Garibaldi informs him that instead he's had a heart attack. In MedLab, Franklin explains to Sheridan that it is the left heart that is the one of the distress, which is the more delicate one for bullshit alien medical reasons. Franklin says that he can keep Londo on life support for 24 hours, but the situation is dire. Uh, while John and Delenn watch Londo, they talk about him and admit that they would miss him. They also talk about Lanier, and Delenn insists that Lanier must make his own decisions. They leave, saying that if Londo makes it through the night, he might make it. Delenn wishes him luck. Londo is now dreaming. He is in the brown sector, and he thinks he hears Delenn's voice. He finds Delenn, or at least someone with her face, sitting at a table posing as a fortune teller. On her table, he sees what look like tarot cards. The woman says that this is Londo's past. She resets the deck, which then starts bleeding. Listeners, I don't know if you've ever, like, done tarot or anything, but if your deck starts bleeding, that is a sign to just get up, walk away, and burn it all. Also, especially <laughs> if your tarot if your tarot deck begins to start bleeding, what I can only think is raspberry jello mix. I mean, it's it's pop tart filling. <laughs> it really is. It's not. It's not like a dark red color or like anything that you'd associate with actual blood. It is, and it has like, like the consistency. It's like, and it's like. The viscosity of like filling, like it's not, it's not fake blood. It's jelly. It's like what you get out of the inside of a jam donut. Yeah. Well, now I want a jelly donut. So she tells him that Londo is dying, and Londo's like, "Yeah, I know." When she asks him if he wants to live, he says that he that it might be better this way. He's seen how he usually dies in his prophetic visions of the future. Um. She asks him again, and a third time, if he wants to live, and Londo eventually admits, yeah, you know what, sure, I do want to live. She says that it is not enough, and that he needs a word. She refuses to tell Londo what word, and gestures to a vent that is glowing red. Uh, he opens the grate, and it has a beating heart inside of it. The scene fades away, and next we see Jakar. We cut back to Veer the bar, and Lanier joins him. They discuss their situations. 
Lanier says that Veer should probably sleep, but Veer says that he can't. Uh, Veer says that he looks forward to seeing Lanier again the next time he's on the station, and the two hug. Veer leaves the bar and he heads back to his quarters. Back in Londa's dreams, uh, we see him walking through the station and returning to the bar. He asks Sheridan in his dreams if he's used to being dead. He recounts his first marriage, a marriage of love, and leaving his wife. Sheridan asks Londo about dreaming of his own death, and Londo recalls that Lorian had an expiration date on Sheridan's revival. Sheridan says that it doesn't matter, they're all dying, and it's what they do with their time instead. But Londo is running out of time. To save himself, he must turn around and face Jakar. But Londo says he cannot. Sheridan, now cloaked in a white shroud, says, Peace out, see you soon. (laughs) That's totally not, like conspicuous at all. Londo's condition deteriorates further in MedLab, and in his dreams, Londo pleads that he doesn't want to die. Uh, Veer pleads for Londo not to die in the real world, and in the dreams, Veer tells him he must make a choice. His heart can no longer bear the weight of his conscience. He must turn around and face what he must. As Londo goes into shock, Jakar enters MedLab, and in his dreams, Jakar says that they will end this. They are in the throne room of Centauri Prime now, and Jakar asks if he wants the throne. Londo says that he does not, but Londo's like, bullshit. It's not that you don't want it, it's that you don't deserve it. Um, and what he refuses to face. We get a fa- flashback to season two, to the bombardment of Darn, and when Londo says it wasn't his fault, Jakar reminds him that, in fact, he did nothing. <laughs> uh, when Jakar is tortured, he said nothing. Londo had an obligation to speak out, and he did nothing. And that's why he does not deserve to live. We then see Londo chained to the post that Jakar was whipped against it, with Jakar in Cartagia's place, complete in, like, the costume with, like, the fancy gloves. It's amazing. It's um, I'm sure that does it for some person. Um, <laughs> yeah, some person. <laughs> some completely mysterious person who's definitely not on this recording right now. Yeah, I'd be weird. <laughs> he wants to hear a word. He is whipped and screams on the 39th lash. Londo sobs, asking who Jakar is. Jakar muses that perhaps he has a delusion of oxygen deprivation, or maybe a part of Jakar that was left over from his psychic invasion. (laughs) Remember those space drugs, y'all? Or maybe that he is just his conscience. Jakar says that he is not sorry. He is just sorry that he got caught. Londo says that this is not true, but Jakar insists that one word is all he needs to save his life. Londo says he has never apologized, but eventually he breaks. He says he is sorry, sobbing, and in MedLab, he starts to stabilize. Londo wakes and he sees Jakar. With all the strength he can muster, he says to Jakar he is sorry. Jakar, overcome, leaves MedLab. Later, while Londo recovers, he says the universe seems to have a sense of humor, as he will never be free of stress, and he'll probably have another one. Or another heart attack. He then tells Veer of a story that the Centauri spirit can leave its body to try and find a worthier host. Veer dismisses it, but says that he remembers the story. In customs, Lanier meets the rangers and goes to depart, but Delenn stops him, asking him if he could leave without goodbye. Lanier says that it's never goodbye and that he will see her again. Delenn wishes him well, and Lanier leaves. Man, what a banger episode. Yeah, this yeah. is really like... What a seesaw of these first two, because like yeah. no the 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 first one there no compromises was pretty god awful, and yeah. this is just this one slaps. 
Yeah, well, because I, I have a theory for what is going for 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 how this for how season five is going to come up. Anything that is like a standard B five episode is gonna suck, <laughs> and anything that's like a character study is gonna be like a banger. That that's my theory. I have literally no recollection of whether you're right or wrong, but I would be a hundred percent unsurprised if you end up being right because the the core cast knows what they're doing with these characters and JMS has demonstrated that he can he knows these characters really well too and he can write a banger that drills into these characters I just don't think he knows what he's doing in season five yeah I think he's kind of off the rails now so we'll see God, there's so many, so much good stuff in this episode. Including, oh, yeah. I, I want to just briefly touch on Jakar dressed as Kartasha because it's not just that he's <laughs> dressed as Kartasha, he's acting like Kartasha. Like, yes. it's got the same, like, diction, the same facial expressions, but on Jakar. And it slaps. Katsulis acts the absolute hell out of that, and it's wonderful. There's. It's so good. It's so good. It's one of my favorite sci-fi tropes, which is a character act like an actor acting as another character while playing another character. Yeah. It's like it's it's the best. It's it's like anytime anytime Brett Spider is like playing lore pretending to be data energy. Very, it's a very specific thing, but you're right. I mean, it happens like multiple times. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's also up there with like the the good body swap episodes because there's a lot of bad body swap episodes, but then there's like the Farscape one and the the Stargate one. Or I mean, so as as a as a similar uh, in the series by the turf that shall not be named um, in the movies. One of like my five, fa- one of like my all time favorite things in those movies is Helena Bottom Carter playing uh what's her name uh what's her name Hermione Granger pretending <laughs> to be her oh yeah like yeah yeah I I I love that moment because it's 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 very nicely done it's a very good bit of physical acting uh and it's just like what you're talking about it's this nice bit of like. Pretending to be someone pretending to be someone else. It's very good. There's so much. I mean, I like stopped taking notes halfway through this episode because I just wanted to watch it. So I only have notes for like the first third of the episode. But (laughs) uh, my favorite part of the first third of the episode is uh, Londo's absolute fucking crushing banger of an insult on um, Zach. You have that look in your eyes that says, Hold your ear to my head and you'll hear the sea, which is <laughs> such a it's so good. I absolutely love that. Uh, but I also love Zach in that scene because he's he's looking at Londo with this look that of like it's it's a look that says, I've done this long enough now that I am comfortable in my role and I am completely nonplussed by your bullshit. And he's just like, Yeah, he'll tire himself out. Yeah. I was just like, bless you, Zach. You've 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 reached, you've grown. You you now are comfortable in your role as security chief and you no longer are flustered by shit like this. So okay, I just want to point out something funny because I'm trying I'm I'm trying to pull up like the I'm trying to pull up the scene with like the tarot cards to see if there's anything 
fun visually there. The first four episodes of season five all have, sh- all are, like, the, the picture for them are all Sheridan and Delad. That's funny. Also, the the only other thing I want to point out about that scene is when Londo passes out, uh, Zach cops a feel. <laughs> He's got his hand all over Londo's chest. Just saying. Um, The intro still sucks. Yep. I yeah. I kind of want Delenn and Sheridan's bed. It looks comfy, right? Right. Like it's it's like it seems like a nice compromise between the like flat, squishy human bed and the like the the plank with upholstery beds that we see on the White Star. Because it seems like it seems like a nice plush memory foam topper at like a gentle slope. Yeah. Yeah. It looks legitimately comfortable, uh, but also that may have to do the f- with the fact that they're like, get they're they're doing a good a good snuggle there when her her call when she gets that call, uh, so I can't tell like how much of that is the bed looks comfortable and how much of that is like the two of them look really comfortable in it. But I could I could absolutely go for one of those beds like you know what whenever you like have a cold and you've got like that post nasal drip type thing yeah. and every time you go flat you just like wake up. Like yeah, dying. Yep, totally. Uh, speaking of Delenn getting a phone call, you want to talk about how weird and off-putting her conversation with Lanier is, or is that just me? So, so, so my thing is like, it starts off fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it like, starts off okay. Like, like Lanier says, like, "Hey, this is rough for me. This isn't your problem. This is a me problem." I've just sort of like, like, I have feelings and I'm going to go d- deal with those. It's just, I don't think it's healthy for e- for either of us for me to be here. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's just, good. R- yeah. Yeah. Th- I was like, I'm like, this is, this is fine. This is great, actually. Like, yeah. this is a very healthy conversation. And then it just goes too far. And then he's like, yeah. And then maybe if I'm a warrior, I'll become the kind of person that you'll love. I'll become a person like Sheridan, maybe. Yeah, he gets real weird energy there towards the end of that conversation. Yeah, I I am not a fan of the end of that conversation. And it's so, it just doesn't, it, it just feels wackadoo off for Lanier to to swing that foul. Yeah, I'm just not into it. Uh I I I I agree it starts out great. Like it's the the start of it is very much Lanier like doing the noble like aware of his own feelings, makes the call to remove himself from the situation, like that's fine. But the whole like maybe then I'll be enough or whatever is just like what? You think you're going to be around when Sheridan's dead? That I mean, you can he just, will like, be. That's the thing. I mean, though. he will be. But he'll, like, he'll definitely be around in twenty years. That's the thing, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just saying. But like, it's creepy, is what yeah. I'm saying. It's creepy. Like, that's that's definitely. I think you just hit on it. There is that he's saying. I'm just gonna go and like improve myself for twenty years, and then like when John keels over, your boy will be here. Boom. Showing off the guns. Yeah. Get some cool ranger scars. Yeah. <sighs> maybe I'll have maybe I'll have committed my own war crimes. <laughs> that's the that's the key to the lens uh heart. Um war crimes. <laughs>
Okay, so I pulled up. I pulled up the the, the tarot cards. They're, they're they're. It's not like a great shot to see them, um. But some cool stuff is um. So the six cards are Londo and Jakar. Um, I think that might be the ten of swords. Like there there are ten downward facing knife things on that card. Then there's one with Londo and Adira. Okay. There is Londo, a shadow ship, and a cup. There's, I think, Londo and Veer and an Hourglass. Honestly, I want this deck. There's Londo and what looks like it's either Cherry Blossoms or like Volcanic Eruptions, and I cannot tell which. And then there is one with a lot of Lightning Bolts um, and and Flames, and it has Londo, Cartagia, and Rifa. Okay, I, I don't mean to put it like this, but it's like, the art on him is not great. I feel like it's it's pro- it's basically just like stand-in art where they had to do something that would show up like okay at a glance for like 10 frames of television. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. It's like they're they're very much like we they didn't like they got like somebody to do it. I don't think it was anybody from the art department. <laughs> Or it's going to be like, okay, this needs to withstand somebody pausing on a VHS where it has that like weird like squiggle thing going on. So we'll be fine. Oh, I I didn't mention this earlier uh, at the end of last episode, but I wanted to. Sheridan's beard. Oh, it's so it's bad. bad. It's real it's bad. bad. And uh, it should be noted. I want to say two specific things about this beard. One, Boxlitner hated it. His wife hated it, but JMS wanted him to have it to differentiate him, his pre and post presidential self. And I'm not making any assertions with my next statement. I'm just pointing it out. It just happens to be the exact same beard that that JMS has had his entire adult life. Uh, it's a bad beard. I mean, though. sure. Like, yeah. and, and like, it's objectively bad. Like that, that. It needs yeah. it needs more like you know potentially more filling in on the sides, definitely more filling in underneath. Like that- it's bad on Boxlitner, it's bad on JMS. It's it's a bad beard because this thing I had like stops at the exactly 90s. the chin line and yeah, like like it's nobody not has like- ever looked good with that particular goatee. Yeah, I don't know why they were fucking everywhere in the nineties. As somebody who can who cannot grow good facial hair, it's just like. Sheridan is old enough to realize, like, I probably can't pull it off. And, like, you, you sh- maybe it's just Sher- Sheridan doesn't have that self-awareness. And that his wife is a bit barry, so she... And it's like, that is the only hair that my race has ever experienced, is that same goatee. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the JMS goatee. If, it, it'd be fine if it, like, filled in more, like... If it were a little bit longer, maybe had more on the sides, and then definitely if it was like filled in more underneath the chin. But it's just like, yeah. ugh. No, it, it it looks like you remember those episodes of Community where they would wear like the felt goatees to indicate <laughs> that they were from the evil universe. Yes, it it has roughly as much dimensionality as that. Yeah, it's definitely a mirror universe goatee. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question now. Which is more telling? that JMS wanted to have his beard be the presidential quote-unquote option for Sheridan, or that every Minbari who has any hair except for Delenn has this beard. (laughs) I hate all of that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I I have no feelings about that except that I hate all of it. No, I mean I have lots of feelings about it, but in particular I hate it. I have no feeling except that I hate it is like honestly a something I strive for. <laughs> yeah, my aside, I was thinking about the scene because uh the guy that that Delenn talks to about Lanier has has a goatee, and that made me think of Sheridan's goatee. It's so bad. I hate it. It's it's awful. And it's not like Boxlitner can't grow a beard, too. Yeah, like he he's done it in some things, like He's clean shaven in a lot of stuff, I, I, but like he can grow, he can grow a pretty great mustache. There's a there's yeah. a picture you can find on Google of Boxlitner and East of Eden, and it is one jarring, and two, it's a pretty good mustache. Yeah, like he can he can actually pull that off pretty well, which like I generally don't say about mustaches. Yeah, it's like it's one of those things of just you've got to have the, like the you've got to have the right beard for your facial shape, and <laughs> they chose. Poorly. I think they've also <laughs> like artificially grayed it a little bit, which doesn't help either. Yeah, I think I think if you like instead of the goatee, if you like artificially like gray his hair, I think that's maybe like well, just, yeah. What's wrong with a real beard? Yeah, he gestures to his very very robust homeless person beard that he is <laughs> he is currently rocking. Yeah, if you can get like I mean. The thing is, like, they don't do a ton of, like, big time skips. So it's like, I don't know if they just, like, you want to hand wave and say, like, it's a couple weeks. Sheridan's now got this beard. Well, actually, like, the, where it where it originated was when he was, like, captured and tortured. Is that his beard grew out then. And then apparently he only shaved the sides and under the chin. I, I almost regret bringing this up because we have talked about this goatee so much now that it's, like, in my mental <laughs> image. I have like the mental image of it in my head and I'm not loving that. Should we actually talk about the real content of this episode? The good part of this episode? I mean, we already talked about how... The fact that we see Dick on TV. What? So there's a scene where they defib a lot of... Oh, his dicks are all out. Yeah. 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 This is... We have reached peak space dick in this episode. I... I, Yeah. No, that was... A real peak moment for me in this episode. I mean, other than I'm like that, I had to bring it up. Truly, yeah, you're you're slacking, Jude. This episode's a lot. Okay, there's a lot going on in this episode. Which which which, are, which is more important, Jakar pretending to be Cartagia or Londo dicks? Don't make me choose. <laughs> I'm not qualified. No, I am qualified. Uh, I I refuse. To, to choose between these things. Uh, I all, all my bits are my favorite. That came out different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure they are, Jude. I'm sure they are. Uh, um, I do find it interesting that like we get a little bit of Centauri medical uh, biology explanation here and it's exactly as bullshit as any Star Trek's episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. is that they have the left heart purifies the blood and like filtrates it and the right one just pumps it everywhere. I mean, it, that makes roughly as much sense as like why we have appendixes. So why not? I mean, the human body makes no fucking sense. The whole thing is one big confusing disjointed meat mistake. So I'm I'm on board with 
two hearts with different functions and stuff like that. It's I, I buy that. Okay. Speaking to the meat of this episode, uh, who else here gets uh, really strong Christmas Carol vibes? Oh, absolutely. This yeah. is a hundred. Yeah. This is a hundred percent an episode that JMS watched after catching like the mu- like Muppet Christmas Carol reruns on TNT or something like that. I'm not. I'm not mad about it at all. And it has some. No, no it's very it, good. There's some really banger lines too. We even get we even get the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. We do. We we do. And all of them are Sheridan. <laughs> oh no, I was thinking Delight is past, Sheridan's present, and I was I was just going with uh, Sheridan's Jakarta's outfit future. changes during that scene. Uh, oh right, yeah, that that's weird. What's up with that? Good question. Because he he starts in the Earth Force uniform, goes to the B five uniform, then is in the Ranger outfit, and then is in like the creepy white shroud thing, and then turns into a ball of energy. Uh, which okay, that's a thing, I guess. If this episode had taken place during season two or three, there'd be some wild theories about Londo having Vorlon, a, a bit of a Vorlon in him. Oh my god, that would have been so. <laughs> Right? Am I wrong? And I oh well okay, so this is so this is plausible though. Because remember when Jakar was like all up in Londo's brain? Do you remember Kosh watching like a fucking creeper? Yeah. Kosh sitting in the corner jacking him. Yeah, I, I I remember your that you describing it that way, yes. So maybe there is a chunk of Kosh in Londo. Who the fuck knows? That would, be, that would be so funny. God. And you have a bit of Vorlon. And you have a bit of Vorlon. Kosh just spritzing himself like Salt Bay, Kosh Bay, all over the station. Everybody that's remotely important gets a little bit of Kosh everywhere. It's funny. This episode is one of the It's so fucking good. There's almost not as much to say about like I Like, it just is so well built that there's almost less to like dunk, not dunk. There's nothing, there's very little to dunk on about like the core plot of it. It's just good. Cotillus and Jurassic are so fucking good together at this point. They've got five years of working together and they're so good in all these scenes together. First is amazing in this one too. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great episode for Veer. That hug. Yeah. Yeah, the the hug and and also the you know, the veer inside Londo's head is some stellar acting. Yeah. Yeah, they're both great. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody brings their A game on this episode. This is what I want from season 5 is I want these actors who have been working together for so long and who have lived in these characters for so long now really just being able to just bring these characters to to, to really the next level as far as performances. That's what that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Not, you know, dollar store Marcus knockoffs. The the other thing that I think is interesting in this episode in terms of like broader context is the bit with Londo's first wife that we've never had some of that context. We've we knew about his first wife, the singer, but we didn't know how that marriage ended. And I feel like that sheds a whole bunch more light on you know, back in season one, we had those like Romeo and Juliet kids. Yeah. And Londo saying, you know, that 
he was able to dance once and but now he can't you know yeah. he lost that and i think that you know, this really brings home exactly how that was lost yeah also shirley temple's fucking slap i don't care that they're not boozy hey, shirley and, temples are and great lanier could have drunk it too mm-hmm it would have been chemically inoffensive. I f- and I feel like a Shirley Temple is a great drink for Lanier. I feel like Lanier is absolutely a Shirley Temple kind of kind of kind of chap. There's a great story. If you want to hear a funny story about Baby Jude, uh, when I was four, I think four or five, like my son's age, uh, my parents, like my whole family, went down to the like the Caribbean or something like that for vacation to one of these resort places. And this was the 80s where you just let your kids do whatever the fuck they wanted. Like people didn't like watch their kids. So they would just let me wander around. And uh, I got into the habit of hanging out at the bar. So I would like (laughs) saunter up to the bar and order like an endless stream of Shirley Temples from the the poolside bar. And when they went to check out, I had rung up like a $200 bar tab of Shirley Temples at the poolside bar. Uh, oh my God. but apparently that was, that was how I spent my, my, my vacation was just chopping it up with the guests and the bartender at the poolside bar drinking Shirley Temples. And I can't believe that like they were able to like figure out whose tab to put it on and everything too. Like that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's probably my dad probably was just like, yeah, just put him, he's, you know, he's on room such and such. Just keep, keep him coming. Like as long as he's out of my hair, Man, my dad's and, parenting and with energy. Inflation, you know, two hundred bucks in the eighties was nothing to sniff at, too. Yeah, yeah. Because I would be, you know, that would be a lot less impressive now because that's like, yeah, that's like three drinks. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the 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 millennial sigh of an of inflation exhaustion right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. We should actually talk about, like, the fact that, like, oh, hey, the, the fact is, like, Londo actually has to, like, work towards reparation now. Yep. Yeah. He's crossed from repressing this shame to, like, acknowledging it. And now – and we've seen him making that progress for a while. We've seen him mm-hmm. moving in a more positive direction since he killed Car- – since he since the uh, Cartagia stuff. This is really him trying. This is really like putting the seal on that mo- motion. I do love that. Like this entire episode is basically his heart can literally not bear his guilt. Yeah, and that's exactly like that's the exact level of plot engagement I want to have. Is just like no, his heart literally cannot handle this. Yeah, it's fantastic. There's one. There's one bit that I want to talk about with the whole linear aspect, mm. um, which is if I'm recalling correctly, it was Bill Mummy who wanted Lanier to be in love with Delenn, and like insisted on it. And JMS was like, "Fuck you, but okay, but you're not gonna like it." So. <laughs> I feel like we're getting like Lanier is now being punished for that hubris that's funny i hadn't heard that but that that tracks that's jms for you oh man there's i remember something about season five now as you were saying that and i hope i'm remembering it wrong you're not oh no so um what else do we have to talk about here 
Uh, let's do I've Seen That Face. Oh, yeah, it's been a while. Hey, we're returning to the station. We're getting, like, random one-off episodes again. Let's get some guest actors in. Yeah. Well, first of all, let's do the actual guest actor. Um, I'm reasonably certain that you do not know the face of Trevor Easter, who plays Simon in No Compromises. Uh, but I wanted to mention that he was in a Seth Rogen short film called, and I'm not making this up, Cops Come Dicks and Flying, which is not porn. I was really excited about the fact that we had a porn actor on the show for a second. And then I was like, no, this is just something Seth Rogen wrote. So that's, you know, that is what it is. <laughs> on the other hand, uh, our two new regulars. Uh, first, we have Tracy Scoggins, who was very active in the 90s. Uh, she played... Cat Grant in the Lois and Clark TV show. If you never watched that show, it's like a soap opera of Superman, a soap opera Superman show. And Cat Grant just wants to fuck <laughs> Clark Kent. That's it. That's her whole character. She has no character development beyond I'm a get on Clark Kent. I respect it's that. It's a good character beat to have. I mean, who hasn't been there, honestly? She also had a recurring role on the Highlander TV show, which was much more nuanced, which I remember. That show fucking slaps, uh, just by the by. She played Galora Rajal on DS9. I, I see the look you're making with your face. And uh, I'm, I, yes, if. I've never yes. seen Highlander. <laughs> oh, wait. That, that should be a movie night. <laughs> the movie or the like, TV show? I've seen neither. Well, we should do the movie. We should the TV show is... Definitely do the movie. The TV show is a thing. But well, I'm putting that on the list. Yes, I was going to say put it on the list. Uh, she's been in a whole bunch... Uh, she played Galora Rajal on DS9. Oh, she's the Cardassian scientist who comes to the station and wants to jump O'Brien's bones. That's oh, fair. fantastic. I love that Cardassian. Yeah. Oh, no, that's great. She plays, that's great. I love. She plays a lot of horny in the 90s. <laughs> She she has a lot of horny energy in 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 what she plays. Spe- speaking of which, there's definitely they've the like they've fucked before energy between Sheridan and Lockley. Yeah, yeah, it's there for sure. I forget whether that's canon or not, but like, yeah, no, it's not. The, but the energy is there for sure. Yeah. Um, and then we have Rowan Atkin Downs who joins as Byron, the poor man's replacement for Marcus. He has a fucking banging voice acting career. Uh, he is the voice of Cham motherfucking Syndulla uh, on Star Wars Rebels, as well as like half of every other animated or voice acted thing you've ever goddamn heard of. His IMDb page is fucking enormous. It's huge. I, I could not even begin to summarize some of the notable stuff he's been in. So I'm just going to name some characters that he has done. He has voiced Cyclops, uh, Scott Summers. Love it. Um, in the video game X-Men Next Dimension. Um, he has voiced Legolas. <laughs> He's done a ton of video games. He has voiced... He, so, oh my god. So there was, the 2003, there was a 2003 Battlestar Galactica video game based off the original series. And in that, he voices Adama. He was a whole bunch of voices in the in the Marvel What If series that came out recently. Yeah, um, some things he has voiced in Marvel: Heinrich Zemo, Abomination, 
Annihilus, Mr. Fantastic. Um, oh, oh, this is the, this is this is the best one. He's also done like Doctor Bruce Banner, um, Mysterio, but the best one is in the 2004 game Forgotten Realm, uh, Demon Stone. He voiced Drizdurden. Oh my god. <laughs> Now I really well, want to ask um, Byron what do his elf eyes see? Uh, God, this is he voiced the prophet of regret in Halo. Yeah, no, it's like he has also voiced Bilbo Baggins. His his uh, this is what I'm saying. His page is This is just I can find anything here. It's just I'm only I'm only saying like the clickable links. Yeah. The, no, that's what I'm saying. Clicker. It's all over the place. He's done like half of everything. He's in a bunch of video game TV show. He hasn't done a ton of like acting like as himself, but his voice acting career fucking slaps. So like, cheers, uh, dude. Oh my God. He was in squadrons. Yeah. <laughs> Mad respect for the, the, especially the video games. He's been very, very active in video game voice acting. Do you want to know the one thing he hasn't done? That might actually disqualify him from "Hey, I know that face." Star Trek. He has never done Star Trek. Uh, there's still rip. time. <laughs> so, yeah. There's like, there's so much Star Trek being done right now. Hey, man, I feel like there's he, plenty of time. He, and he's a voice actor, so he could just be on like Lower Decks or something. Gosh, should yeah. we start a campaign to get this guy a role on on Lower Decks? <laughs> Let's do it. We should. We should. Listeners, listeners, please join us in this campaign. Yeah. Let's see if he's got a Twitter. We're not going to be creating a Twitter or anything or a hashtag. Just, just manifest yeah. it. <laughs> we, be- we believe in you, listeners. So that is uh, all we've got for Hey, I Know That Face. Uh, I'm sure we will have more next episode. And I think that pretty much closes out our episode. Yeah. Next time we are going to be covering episodes three and four, The Paragon of Animals, and A View from the Gallery. Until next time. I mean, we're still doing this, so... More season five. Be seeing ya. <laughs> the Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license.